Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, uh, Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning. I wonder, if, is there anything to talk about? <laughs> is there anything to talk <laughs> about? I will tell you there are a lot of very anxious people out there. I'll keep them anxious for another couple of minutes, only because before we talk about the Iran deal, I'd like your reaction to what happened yesterday in Tennessee. A gunman, Mohammed Yosef Al-Duzlaziz, 24 years old, unleashed a barrage of gunfire at two military facilities Thursday in Tennessee, killing four Marines, wounding two other service members and a police officer. The shooter was killed. Law enforcement uh, sources told CBS News that the shooting suspect was identified, as I just said, Mohammed Yosef uh, Abdulaziz. According to a U.S. law enforcement source, he was born in Kuwait, came to the U.S. in 1966, unclear if and when he became an American citizen. Your reaction to this terrible tragedy in Tennessee? One more warning, and coming uh, as we are entering into these, uh, the assessment of the negotiations, the outcome of the negotiations, for the mother of terrorism, the major state sponsor of terrorism worldwide, and we are giving them a new lease on life. The results are going to be, it, it, it's certainly uh, visible today. It's inevitable what the result will be in terms of uh, increasing in, uh, the terrorism with new support for Hamas, Hezbollah, other groups. And whether this guy had a direct connection or indirect connection, um, as we know, each time the first reaction is he's a lone uh, fighter, that he was uh, there's no connection. And every time they find some connection to a website, an imam, some source maybe traveled abroad, and uh, I hope people will will understand the connection. It's not a direct correlation, perhaps in in each instance, but certainly this the leniency with which we are approaching it, the fact that there's nothing on terrorism in this deal, it is a a message in view of this uh, horrific event. Oh, it's amazing to me how many people disagree with you. And don't worry, I'm not saying that as a criticism. In these cases, we always see, or uh, many times, it's proven that those in the minority, unfortunately, are proven to be right. Let's start with the president of the United States, who I have a feeling disagrees with you on some of this. The quote is, and this is from the president from his press conference: "With this deal, we cut off every single one of Iran's." Pathways to a nuclear program, a nuclear weapons program. Could you describe for us the reality, if there is any, behind this statement? Well, the, it, the deal phases in, to a certain degree, various um, re, uh, liftings of restrictions, and much of it in the first year, including the release of perhaps 100 to $150 billion in money that is being held in escrow, uh, this does not close off every one of, of Iran's uh, pathways. Uh, as some people have pointed out, if you, if you look at, even at what Rouhani said, where he laid out why, um, in fact, they are the victors, why they can claim um, they achieved all they wanted, because when you, you look at the facts, none of the nuclear sites have been shut down. Right. They'll continue nuclear enrichment. No centrifuges are destroyed. Research and development on advanced centrifuges continues, and all of this money will be unfrozen. Second, you're going to have a lifting of the sanction on sale of, of conventional weapons in five years and eight years on ballistic missiles. In the meantime, they're going to 
hone these things and develop them further. The um, and the pathways. It, it is true that that I mean, obviously there are some positives in in terms of the, some of the restrictions, some of the the amount of uranium that they can hold, but it, it is not an ultimately a block on uh, on on them achieving. A, a nuclear weapon. But even the good things that are in the deal, and I, I know what you mean in terms of those, those details, how verifiable are they? What, what type of checks and balances are there that can be put into place to make sure they adhere to even those restrictions? And, and by the way, there are estimates that over the next 15 years, we're talking about five to $700 billion. Remember the oil sales, all these other things that, that they will likely uh, uh, benefit from including perhaps collecting a $50 billion judgment that an Iranian court issued against the United States, saying that they had to pay $50 billion for damages against the, the IRGC. You're, what you're raising is perhaps the most serious question of all, and that is what happens with uh, when there's a violation. The truth is nobody knows, because what are you going to do? You have to go to the United Nations. You have to get a majority of the countries meaning we need all the Europeans, because we're not getting the Russians and the Chinese uh, to agree with us. And, uh, by the way, even if you would get a rollback, or snapback, as they call it, of sanctions, all the deals that they signed, this is something that people haven't pointed out, all the deals that were signed till that point are grandfathered in and immune from sanctions. Hmm. That means that you can expect now a big rush to sign contracts, some will be only hypothetical, but everybody's going to sign to shield them from possible reimposition of sanctions later on. Because you've seen the Iranians say, we continue our struggle against the United States, we're going to continue our activities. And, uh, and, and it says that Iran uh, considers the reposition of sanctions freeing it from all its commitments, meaning it will no longer have to abide by any of the things that it agreed to in the agreement. Right. Uh, so essentially, it gives Iran you know, a free pass and on all these kind of things, except for perhaps the most blatant and and uh, obvious uh, uh, violation, uh, which is not what they're going to do. They're going to be cheating all along as they have now, and they are going to to um, accumulate all these things. And, and everybody will say, oh, for that we're not going to break the agreement. For that we're not going to break the agreement. And then we're going to be faced all of a sudden with the reality that the agreement was broken, that, that all of the uh, restrictions that we thought were, were in place. And he says, Khamenei says, we're going to continue the war against, campaign against arrogance, a term for the United States. They don't hide uh, uh, their intent. And in fact, they, they point out why they believe and how they uh, spoke to, to the people of Iran about how they emerged victorious from this uh, from this negotiation. Well, based on what you just said, then, here's another quote from the president. And it just seems, I don't want to call the president a liar, and certainly not in this forum, but it seems unrealistic based on what you just described. He said, with this deal, if Iran violates its commitments, there will be real consequences. Nuclear-related sanctions that have helped to cripple the Iranian economy will snap back into place. It seems that's unrealistic based on what you just described. It is true that they will, that there is a snapback provision. Snapback is just another word, right. uh, Reinstate greater urgency right. to the idea that they will reimpose it. Right. But you have to remember, hundreds and hundreds of businessmen are going to be going to uh, Iran now. Hundreds are waiting. Uh, three hundred Italians, a hundred, uh, three hundred Frenchmen, one hundred and fifty Italians. Uh, the foreign ministers of these countries are all going. 
and they're going to be negotiating right away. We're talking about selling arms, uh, airplanes, civilian aircraft, other things. You're not going to reverse that so quickly. It's going to take a long time. It'll take six months, perhaps, until we actually sign deals and start implementing deals. They're not going to happen right away. But you're not going to be able to reverse it right away either. So the idea that somehow you push a button and it's going to click back the sanctions, it is true that our banking sanctions are very important and that some of the sanctions the United States has on terrorism and other things remain in place. Mm. But the the first thing that is happening, and, and the United States already went <coughs> to the Security Council to begin the process. They haven't yet submitted it. But they're going to submit this deal to the United Nations for action, meaning that before Congress, and yesterday the uh, Chairman of Foreign Relations Committee, ranking Democrat, uh, Senator Corker, Senator Cardin, who initiated the legislation initially that, uh, if you remember back uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, which the president signed. It was sponsored by 98 senators and 400 representatives. Established a 60-day period, actually 30 days, but 60 days right. during the recess as it is now, right. to consider the agreement. And now they're saying you're going to the United Nations for a vote before we even had a chance to consider it. Right. And in addition to which, you know that two of the components, the five-year uh, lift, the five-year lifting on the sanctions on conventional weapons and on ICBMs, is not even in the deal. It's only in the United Nations uh, resolution, and it. I say these things not because people should understand that these are not uh, just details that are, are, are of limited significance. Uh, there is really no linkage between the removal of restrictions on the renuclear program and what Iran's behavior will be. In 10 years, Iran could be even more aggressive in the region and sponsor even more terrorism around the world and work harder to destroy Israel and the restrictions would still be automatically removed. Well, let me so do a process once it begins it is a you know it's a moving train and it's part of the reason why we feel so uh, so strongly about about the nature of some of the details uh, which we still have to study we have to make sure that we're on firm ground because there have been things that people have said that are, are really not true but also many things that the administration said uh, or put forward initially that certainly are, uh, can be questioned when one looks at the at the actual language of the agreement. A, a moving train that even the U.S. Capitol will not be able to stop, it seems. Um, even with this deal, the President of the United States says, we will continue to have profound differences with Iran. Its support of terrorism, its use of proxies to destabilize parts of the Middle East. It, it is He is telling us the type of country that we, the P5 plus one, are making a deal with, are making an agreement with. It, 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 it sounds a little bit absurd, especially in light of what happened yesterday. And, uh, you know, no doubt a connection uh, between the killer yesterday, as you said, and, uh, you know, some larger picture. The, the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world, one that the President of the United States acknowledges is doing their hardest to destabilize as many countries as possible in the Middle East, and we're in the middle of a negotiation with them. Actually, we're at the end of a negotiation with them. So a couple points. Uh, one is that Iran made illegal purchases of nuclear technology last month. Last month, and this is a report from German, Germany's uh, Federal Office of Protection of the Constitution about uh, the illicit technology that they, that they purchased. They're constantly cheating on the deal. Now, 
that's while they're negotiating and trying to get into the best possible position. No respite from the campaign against arrogance. He declares death to America at the rally. You know, by the way, Canada has uh, decided to keep the sanctions in place. They're not removing their right. sanctions. Right. And while it may not be the most important thing, it is, it is still not something you can go over. They already started Iran resupplying uh, money and support to Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas, uh, which they cut uh, severely over uh, recent months because of the money and because of the... Um, uh, uh, because of the restrictions on, and the sanctions. So they have started again providing money to Hamas and Islamic Jihad in, in the aftermath and saying that this is really a demonstration of the confidence they have about what's going to happen. And of course, the, the huge amount of money that is, uh, that is going to be coming their way. And even if they take 10%, even though it's likely to be the reverse, but if they spend 90% on domestic concerns and 10% of the $150 billion uh, get siphoned off into into the uh, their terrorist support activities. Tell me, what is the situation going to look like yeah. in, in the global uh, fight against terrorism? And they make no bones. I mean, they don't uh, try to hide it. And Khamenei actually is very critical of the agreement right now, and saying that uh, that we have to study the red lines. I mean, this could well be just uh, positioning themselves, but. We, we see the support for terror. Everything continues uh, unabated. Why? Is there still room and time for them to reject this deal? It isn't going to happen. Uh, but they, they're, well, they're going to try to counter any uh, review by the administration, by, by um, Congress, of, uh, of the bill presented by the administration. And, um, and yes, I, 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 uh, they, they will start playing games, but there is no way that anybody's going to try and rewrite this thing or go back. Everybody will scream and yell that, uh, that that's impossible, that we can't let them do it. If, for argument's sake, we're waiting for Congress to, you know, to approve, to ratify, whatever you want to call it, and let's just say, for argument's sake, because it doesn't sound like there's going to be a need for that uh, in the long run, the way you're describing it. The other five countries, do they also have a procedure within their uh, within their own administrations, or they're they're now you know they, they've already made a uh, a statement that they're ready to go ahead with this agreement. Essentially, the the latter. Uh, I'm sure everybody has a process for ratification of some kind, but it's all meaning it all depends on the United States and to some degree on what Iran does. Uh, the other countries that let the U.S. take the lead, and now they're putting it on on America's shoulders. Um, you know, Khamenei uh, also could upset the apple cart, but he, he's not likely to because they have so much to gain from this. But he warned, he said, uh, and this is a quote, that six states of the six states participating in negotiations, the P5 plus one, he said, you know, that they are not trustworthy at all. Yeah. <laughs> so he's warning he's to that, talk. that the Americans and the others, you know, would, would could be the... They'll uh, violate the agreement. The agreement when they have no interest and in nothing... I mean, literally nothing to cheat about. Unbelievable. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We could do this for hours, but a, a very anxious and correct crowd 
wants to hear about um, what we can do. So we got to get to some strategy and some to some recommendations. Uh, there are Jewish groups and those who identify not only with the Jewish uh, with World Jury but uh, with great concern for Israel. There's some who have announced that they're going to be fighting. Uh, in Congress uh, to uh, against this deal. There's some who have uh, indicated that they're going to be lobbying in support of the deal. I wonder if those who are uh, going to do the uh, latter are aware of the fact that 78% of Israeli Jews feel it's a bad deal. And the reason I point this out is because if, in fact, everyone's sincere about their care for Israel... We have to remember who's on the front lines and who's most likely going to be most affected by this deal. The the 78% doesn't surprise you at all, right? It's across the board and across all political lines. And I'll, and I'll bet you it's higher. Um, and also, if you've seen that across the board, the political spectrum in Israel, uh, Herzog, the leader of the opposition, has spoken very strongly and appeared with Netanyahu and said that he will work together, though he won't join the government, to, to oppose this deal, he said, I think it's a bad deal for Israel and that we will cooperate when it comes to the security of Israel. This deal is dangerous, he said, and he likened it to Iran being uh, is out of the cage and will become a regional tiger. The fact that Kahal, um, Lapid came out with very strong statements about the, the nature of the deal, as have many others. So it's an across-the-board opposition. It's certainly true also in Egypt's in in the UAE and uh, Saudi Arabia and all of these countries that are uh, very much opposed to to it. And in America, I would say that the organizations and others are uh, of a mind. There's, uh, of course, one organization that claims to be pro-peace and pro-Israel, but I don't believe is either, um, that is already campaigning for it and saying they're going to spend millions. I do not believe the campaign should be a Jewish campaign. This should be an American campaign about why this is dangerous to America. Right. And everybody who is a contact to a member of Congress ought to make their voices heard with those members of Congress. They, they're coming home for recess. They will be in the districts. They will, you know, certainly are still in, in Washington for a couple more days. We have uh, 60 days, so we don't, we don't need to do everything right now. And people who are asking for certain actions, we have to, see how we, first of all, build up support amongst the members. They will be under tremendous pressure from the administration, and uh, I believe everybody has a right to make the case, but we have to look at what are the implications, what does this mean when these um, sunset clauses will kick in. And, you know, there is still a lot of confusion. uh, Just one example was this whole debate about whether Soleimani, whom we have talked about on the air many times, um, uh, who's the head of the Iran Revolutionary Guard, whether he is included in amongst the 800 institutions and individuals who are named by name in the agreement, and that's the bulk of the agreement, um, who are going to be removed at various stages from the list of people who are being sanctioned. And it turns out, and they say, no, this is a different Soleimani, who's the director of the uranium mining operations. It is true. He will be delisted at phase one of the agreement. The IRGC commander will be delisted at phase two, which is eight years in the deal. So Suleimani, the guy who is responsible for killing Americans for all of the planning of terrorist activities, he's, he is going to be removed from the list. It's just a little later down. And if you look at some of the, aiders, uh, of the others, the commanders of the Basiji, all of these people 
who, who, who people who openly say they want to room with Israel from the map, they want to destroy the United States. They 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 are listed in these uh, in, in these agreements. Right. So you you have to look at certain key factors. It legitimizing Iran as a nuclear threshold state. It can start a nuclear arms race. It will increase the support for terrorism, and we're going to see it in Yemen. We'll see it in Gaza. We're going to see it in uh, in Lebanon. We're going to see them do more to support Assad. They're going to do more, they say, to fight uh, uh, ISIS. They actually leave uh, Lebanon out because they don't want to jeopardize uh, what goes there. But they talk about uh, uh, finding solutions in Yemen. We know what kind of solutions they are, and this idea that we can... Turn Iran from a friend, from a foe to a friend, is just not realistic because the whole premise of of the regime's existence, the whole ideology that's behind it, is one that is absolutely incompatible with what we're talking about. And we saw in the Sinai with Egypt fighting, uh, you know, the terrorists, the jihadists, and the others. Uh, just think what happens when they unleash uh, Iran once again on the region. This time, supercharged by the, the money they will get. Bill Clinton on the uh, deal with uh, North Korea. This is a good deal for the U.S. North Korea will freeze and then dismantle its nuclear program. The entire world will be safer as we slow the spread of nuclear weapons. The U.S. and international inspectors will carefully monitor North Korea to make sure it keeps its commitments. Uh, what, all these years later, how do we evaluate the accuracy of that assessment? You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice and expecting a different outcome. Right. Even the language too often used is almost the same as was used in regard to North Korea. People can say there are differences. Indeed, they're not exactly the same, but the principle is the same. And the idea that they can break out, that they, that, for instance, Iran can uh, do all of this through North Korea or, more importantly, through China and develop the, continue their work on the ballistic missiles and weaponization and everything else and getting uh, all of the parts they want through Chinese sources, and we're not going to know because we don't have the right to inspect it. In many cases, as you know, in the new institutions where the IEA has suspicions, the International Atomic Energy Agency has suspicions, they have to go uh, to the Iranians and tell them what the suspicion is, right? They have to tell them why they have a, a basis for suspicion, and then they have 14 days <laughs> to, uh, to review that. And then in the initial days, so I think it gets it ends up being something like 24 days. And if you have intelligence information, if you have sources, dissidents, if you have uh, tat wiretaps <coughs> or other things, you're not going to give it to the Iranians because you're going to expose whatever source your information of your information is. So, in fact, we're not going to be able to. Uh, uh, discover the new place, and they say, well, 14 days is a lot of time. We, 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 they, they, they can't dismantle a big operation. Well, what if it's a small operation? What if they're doing it in various places? And we know that there are places that we don't know about. Malcolm, we know about the role of uh, Senator Schumer and other members of the United States House, Rep United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate. Uh, I say Senator Schumer because for months Jewish organizations have been stressing how important a role he has in this and how key his opinion and the direction he goes in could could have on this whole situation. Uh, we, we've put in a request for him to join us here. We haven't heard back yet, but hopefully we will. Is there any indication yet how he's leaning toward this deal with uh, Iran? 
Well, there are, let's say there are ongoing discussions with him, and I know that he has uh, reservations. The, the question is, is, two, is uh, twofold. One is, what do elected officials do now to help influence their colleagues and others? Right. There are. We have a long time till the vote. As I said, it's sixty right. days, uh, which means it'll come out around Rosh Hashanah time right. that the actual vote in Congress would take place, and there will be two phases. One is the initial vote up or down on the proposal, and for that you need a majority in both houses. The president has already indicated that he will veto. I don't know why that was necessary. If you really want to have a thorough discussion, as he said, and an open and dialogue, why, why say you're going to threaten it? Maybe the Congress will find things that are really horrendous. So why would you veto it um, and, and say so right. a priori rather than waiting until the discussion takes place? And then the president always has that option. And then uh, they would need a two-thirds vote in both houses, which means all the Republicans, both for 13 Democrats in the Senate and I think 80 Democrats in the House. There will be a lot of pressure. We see it already building. We see a lot of uh, groups uh, on the left that are being mobilized uh, to bring pressure on them to the members to, to sign. And this this um, framing it, and the president did this as well, and I think it's unfortunate that if you're not for this bill, you're for war. Yeah. That isn't the option. You could be for a different deal. You could be for something that retains the sanctions longer. You could be for uh, a deal that has other provisions. And to say simply that if anybody uh, doesn't support this, well, remember that the people we're dealing with killed and maimed U.S. soldiers, U.S. Uh, personnel throughout the Middle East over and over again, responsible for all sorts of um, terrorism activities, uh, say clearly what their intention is against the United States, that they want the Islamist flag over the White House, that they they threaten us, the idea that, that this somehow is going to lead to, to a, a cheery era of uh, nursery rhymes in the Middle East is not realistic. So I hope that on all sides, this should not be vitriolic, this shouldn't be personal, this should be about the substance, debate the facts as they are, what's really in the deal, what's not in the deal, is there a way that it could be improved, that they could get uh, get uh, approval from the other parties uh, to it? Russia does not want to see Iran be a nuclear power. They're going to play the game because it's their ticket into influence, but and and they plan to make a lot, a lot of money out of uh, out of all of this. The um Likelihood. And people should remember the big rally on July 22nd in Times Square, where there were a wide variety of speakers, uh, many organizations sponsoring it. But again, you have many non-Jews who are coming there, uh, including Jim Woolsey, the former head of the CIA, and um, generals and other uh, former members of Congress, to Governor Pataki, who will be there. And I think everybody should have a right to hear what people have to say. And I think they have to be thoughtful comments. We have to convince people now, the American public, that this is bad, to convince the representatives of the American public, i.e. the Congress, that this is bad. And that's not done by screaming. It's done by making a legitimate case that the price that will be paid by future generations, and, you know, this can be graduated up in, in different ways as we see how the process goes, and there's always polling going on. And you will see many ads coming out now 
that will help make the case uh, about what, what the danger is posed by this deal with Iran. That rally is Wednesday, 5.30 in Times Square. It's coming Wednesday. We'll remind everybody as we get closer. The likelihood that somebody in the Democratic Party would not go along with the president at this point is uh, is probably slim, unless one could argue that in some cases, in whatever, in, in a specific district that a representative or a state that a United States senator is in, they honestly believe that this decision, the way they act vis-a-vis the deal with Iran, could affect their reelection. Right? That that's what it essentially comes down to: the leverage of the president versus the you know how much will it affect my potential reelection. The president has tremendous leverage, but we have to start first with. Uh, as you said, Senator Gillibrand, Senator Schumer, Senator uh, Cory Booker, certainly Menendez has been out front, uh, Senator Kuhn, Senator Blumenthal, that these people who represent large Jewish constituencies who have close connections and have been out front on issues related to Israel and defending uh, the U.S.-Israel relationship and fighting terrorism, that they have to send a message to the other members of Congress about where they stand. And that doesn't mean it has to be on our timetable. We can that's something that uh, uh, we have to see. But the, but the messages, number one, that they send are very important uh, during this time. And two, you know, we, the president has a bully pulpit. He has a lot of leverage. We already saw in that hour-long uh, press conference where he addressed a lot of the issues, and he's a convincing uh, uh, representative for his point of view. He, he, he can mobilize a lot of support. You'll have all the former secretaries of state, or many of them. You'll have others who, who, who will come out. Schultz and Kissinger, you know, wrote an op-ed piece against this deal. Uh, hopefully that, they will sustain that and become articulate spokesmen for this uh, deal. And I think as people yes. really look at, at the deal and look at the content and, and see things that are not mentioned, like Parchin, other things... Um, and the uh, potential for spreading terrorism, the support for that Iran's activities. We learned more and more just in the last week about their activities in South America. All of these things will be will be radically changed by the infusion of money and by unleashing Iran on the internet in the international community with no restrictions, no price uh, on their heads right now. The the sanctions should have been gradually released. They're not they're released again, in six months or so, but it should have been in a much bigger period, longer period, where, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you give one tranche and another as they as they actually perform. And, and the president says they have the ability to monitor, we have the ability to think most of the places that, like uh, Natanz and Fordo, were discovered because dissidents gave the information. It wasn't Western intelligence that discovered them. So who knows how many places now are in development in some remote place. Um, Iran has a lot of uh, earthquake-prone areas, so they're limited somewhat and can't do it just anywhere. But there's certainty in the part of many of the people who know this, uh, who know Iran, that they have other facilities that we don't know about. You, know, you made such an important point. I'd like to emphasize the... Um Many the alternative is war, and you said the president is is incorrect when he says that. But a lot of people in our community also think that's the case, and are sometimes frustrated by that. 
Uh, and the reality is that you, the Prime Minister of Israel, and many others who are, you know, who are very wary of, of the current deal, would love to see and would agree to a deal that makes sense, a negotiation that made sense, the elimination of what, what doesn't belong in this deal and the inclusion of what needs to be in this deal. And I think that's important that as we get out there and speak to members of the House of Representatives and speak to members of the United States Senate and to others, you know, to neighbors, friends, and other Americans, I think it's very important to emphasize that. We're not looking for war. We're looking for an arrangement, an agreement that makes sense. And many of the experts say that this deal will lead to war because it's of the nature of the circumstances that are going to be built up in the Middle East. Look, I would like to have seen a good deal. I'm in favor of a good deal. Anything that would limit Iran's ability to develop nuclear weapons, to threaten all the countries in the region, to to support terrorism. But I would have wanted to see that the conditions are much stricter. Some of the European diplomats we move blame the United States, say that they turned it over to them and they, you know, they became Iran's lawyers. I wasn't in talks, I don't know. And I'm sure that the president, everybody else, all the members of Congress, they all want to see a good outcome out of this. They want to see a better deal, except for those who are the agents of the regime, including some uh, advocates in the United States who have close ties to, the, to them, the, that anybody who, who is realistic knows how serious the stake is. And that's what I'm saying. I don't denigrate people who may feel that, look, this does make things better in the sense that you have some control, otherwise we'd have no control. Right. If the deal breaks down, all the, the restrictions on Iran are removed, and they go gung-ho ahead, you know, racing towards uh, a nuclear weapon again. And here you have uh, 6,000 centrifuges. Originally it was supposed to be 100, uh, but you have 6,000 out of the 19,000 uh, operating. The rest won't operate right now. The... Um, um, you know the the uh, number of facilities, the other things that are limited. The the heavy water reactor uh, has to be shut down, and and um, uh, the core supposedly replaced. So there are things that are are appear beneficial, and uh, is the basis for their argument that that the deal is good. But when you look at it overall, and you know that you're dealing with a party that will cheat by its very nature and has always done so, and that Rouhani, who is painted as a moderate, and we see all these wonderful comments and things, Arif smiling, I mean, these guys who were involved in the bombing of the, of the Amiya, some of them involved, involved in the bombing of, uh, bombing of the Jewish Community Center and the embassy in, in Argentina, that some of these guys are Holocaust deniers, that some of these guys, uh, you know, have been responsible for more executions than under Ahmadinejad, more than a thousand since they came to power, and the number steadily increases. Um, and we don't have access to the scientists, we don't have the PMD, the potential uh, possible military dimension information that was uh, sought. So the West made a lot of concessions in this. Yeah. And that's the, the balance that we have to, to find out how much, what, what kind of danger are we leaving for this generation, but also for generations to come. This, so let's say that the deal holds for the 10 years. At the end of 10 years, essentially, Iran will be in a position to break out as a nuclear power. Right. Uh, there was a report in the Jerusalem Post that this is going to lead to an immediate increase in uh, defense aid and uh, weaponry to Israel. Is that, in fact, going to happen in the next few weeks, that there'll be a further commitment by the U.S. to the security of Israel? The president has offered that and, and did it again this week, and they wanted to negotiate. They did the same with the 
Arab countries, especially the Gulf countries, when they met them at the summit in Camp David, they did offer uh, Israel to discuss uh, additional measures, additional perhaps assistance, but maybe access to certain weapons. Um, there are people who talk about getting them access to to the super uh, bomb. Somebody pointed out to me it shouldn't be called a, a bunker buster because a bunker here is an irrelevancy. You need something that can be a mountain buster. Right. Um, so that is offered, but the prime minister decided not to engage in discussions on that because he said that it would be accepting already that this is a fait accompli and there's nothing that they can do about it. He still believes and has been uh, fighting this. Uh, perhaps later on they will um, advance talks on the other thing. Bougie Herzog has said repeatedly that he, would come, he was going to come to the United States to talk about compensatory uh, measures and talking about additional aid. The prime minister doesn't want to do it yet because he's afraid that it will look like a capitulation. There are rumors that Herzog's going to join the government coalition, by the way. It's not going to happen now. It is something that has always been talked about. When I was in Israel last week, obviously it comes up. Uh, I don't think he sees it in his political interest right now, and Netanyahu is having so many problems with his coalition, which they revel in. Uh, so I, I don't know that they're in any hurry to do it, but he, he did rise above the partisanship right. stand with Netanyahu, and uh, I think they even have been working on op-ed together, but whatever, he, he has sent very clear messages about recognizing and expressing the danger that he thinks this represents. Uh, all right, we can talk about this for hours, and we'll have time, obviously, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I, I have to wrap up by asking you to following Malcolm. Uh, this deal, as we know, and the framework certainly for the deal, looked like it was uh, already in place months ago, and this deal could have been... Uh, Agreed to and, uh, and, um, and brought to the United States Congress, uh, uh, back around Purim time or Pesach time or even Shavuos time. And instead we see that this happened during the three weeks and the first opportunity that we get to discuss this publicly and analyze it is at the beginning of the nine days. What is your, uh, opinion regarding the timing of all this? You know, nothing is, is coincidental. Everything is a message, but the fact is that there were aspects that were only agreed upon in the last few days, including this idea of lifting uh, the sanctions, the UN sanctions on the conventional weapons that uh, can be supplied to and sold to Iran, and the lifting of the restrictions on parts for the uh, ballistic missiles, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. These were all resolved, from what I understand, just in the last couple of days, last couple of hours of the negotiations. There were real serious debates going on and the screaming and fighting that Zarif engaged in. And frankly, if you understand the mentality of people dealing with Secretary Kerry and the others, when he started screaming and yelling at them, they should have gotten up and walked out and tell them when, you, when he's prepared to treat them with respect. But when we are, uh, allow him and allow the Iranians to believe and be put in the driver's seat and in these negotiations and feeling that they could... You know, hold back and, and act in any way they wanted because the West, you know, tra treated them like a petulant child. Uh, that is a mistake because you have to always think about how do they view it. How, what is the culture of the people we're negotiating with? These bazaaris who are so expert at negotiations and at 
you know, talks over after their experience of 2,000 years. And to look at the, at the broader picture as well, we don't need, the solution is not the question, it's not going to be measured by what happens in the next month or five, or five months, maybe not the five years. What's going to happen 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we're going to have a, a radical Iran, and there's no expectation that you're going to have a different regime, maybe a different leader, but the, the fundamental structure remains. Right. Why not move for, to, to take steps to help uh, with the regime change? Why not open up the country in, in ways that will enable uh, young people and others? Where was the demands for the release of the four Americans being held? How much less of a commitment could we demonstrate to the world if we don't have them included as part of our negotiating uh, position? Yeah. Um, next week we'll have an opportunity to discuss more. Wednesday, 5.30, Times Square, 42nd Street, New York City, to stop Iran now rally. And, Malcolm, let's pray that uh, Americans uh, are able to convince members of the United States Congress uh, that there should be at least a second look at all this. And it should start with the people in the audience today. Now is the time to start. You can have another shot at them. Invite them to synagogues, to groups to meet during the recess. They're coming home for a long period. Make sure that everybody knows that it's not enough for them simply to, to be silent and say that they're going to vote the right way when it comes to it. We want them out front now. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us here on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos to discuss the weekly update.